This morning's prayer week, we're going to build around Daniel chapter 2. And the idea I wanted to with for our prayer week, more, more the idea that I believe God has used in this chapter, is this. Because God knows everything, I will turn to Him first when I need I know uh, that there's a good chance in this room this morning that some of you came in with some anxiety, some situations that you don't know how they're going to turn out. You don't know where they're going. They're precarious. Uh, there's a lot of question marks. And you, you need wisdom. You need to know what's my next step here. What do I do now? If that's you, this chapter for you. And I want to introduce you uh, to a king that you might be able to relate to. We're going to turn to Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. It says this about the king of Babylon. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. You ever been there? I got up about 3 in the morning last night thinking about some stuff, and I swear this wasn't like, hey, maybe I should get up at 3 just so I have something to talk about. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those nights. I got some things going through my mind. It's a little bit hard to get back to sleep. Pulled out my Bible and prayed and got back to sleep about 4.15. You've had those nights uh, where something is weighing on you. It says here that his is troubled. It was the heads of kings rest uneasily. You know, sometimes you look at someone like Nebuchadnezzar and all that he had at disposal. Power like few other monarchs have ever had. He says it, it's done. He's famous for building the, the huge city of Babylon with its famous hanging gardens that people still talk about today. But as one of my friends used to say, needs beget needs. You get something you think you want and then that thing needs something else. My dad, my brother, and I all have pools of various sizes and we've been talking about those pools. I got one of those little ones at Walmart that's about 48 bucks, but you know what? You get a pool, and it's got a filter, and that filter needs chlorine tablets, and bugs get in the water, and you got to skim them, and you got to make sure that pH balance is right. Needs beget needs. It could be a lawn. It could be your house, whatever it is, and we all know how those things uh, pile up, and, and sometimes it's more important stuff that's going on in our lives that, that weigh us down. And how many of you have been there where the problems that we think about during the day become the monsters of our nightmares at night? They, they loom large. And this is where Nebuchadnezzar was. His biggest problem was what Augustine wrote early on in the church's history. He said, the human heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. No amount of wealth or things or conveniences are going to answer that anxiety. The good thing for Nebuchadnezzar was he didn't just blow it off. Okay, some of us do that sometimes. We feel uneasy and it makes us uncomfortable, so let's just get busy and get on with life. Something he did was he said, I want to figure out what's going on here. He was the king of Babylon, but we can learn even from him. It says, the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now, interesting uh, list of people that he called in. That word sorcerers was actually from an ancient form of language that used symbols. And the symbols that made up that word were the symbol of a mouth and the symbol of death within that mouth, 
which gives us the idea that they were talking about necromancy here, communicating with the dead, getting a message from the dead to tell me what's going on in my life today. A a practice clearly uh, spoken against by God, but these are the guys he calls in, astrologers, to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. And the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. It's always good when you're dealing with a despot to start out with some nice butter. Smooth, smooth, it, smooth it over. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I wonder if this was a Monday for these guys. <laughs> How'd you like to start off your week that way? Uh, some translations say cut into pieces. Uh, others look at that word and say it means, has more the sense of torn. And they've, they've looked back at some practices where, where empires at that time would find four trees that are relatively close together. And with great power and might from str- many strong men, they would bend them together and tie them at the top Then they'd get whoever it's talking about being torn to pieces and tie one limb to each tree and slice that rope at the top. This is a bad day for these guys. And did you notice what he said? He didn't say just, hey, tell me what it means. I want you to tell me what it was. See, these guys had all sorts of encyclopedias, if you will, in places they could turn, oh, he dreamed about a moon, that means this. He dreamed about a fish, that means this. But... Nebuchadnezzar's getting kind of skeptical. Like, how do I know these guys are even telling me the truth? I'm going to put them to the test. You don't just tell me what it means. You tell me what my dream was. <laughs> how would you feel in that situation? You talk about, in earthly terms, an impossible situation, right? You, but here's the good news. If you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. They know this is impossible, so they say, one more time, let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we'll interpret it. Help us out a little. Throw us a bone. Just tell us what it was, and we'll, we'll break it down for you. Then the king is on to them. He says, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time, because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I'll know that you can interpret it for me. Stop calling for time. You can see the anxiety level rise. This is an impossible situation in earthly terms. And I love verse 10, because rarely will you get an admission like this from folks that don't worship the true God. But listen to this in verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, There's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. They're saying we can't do this. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. King, we're going to put our cards on the table. We cannot do this. The gods may know it, but we don't have any direct communication with them. And what, what's cool about this from God's word, a hundred years ago, the book of Isaiah, before they went to Babylon, the prophet Isaiah had been 
mocking these very gods of Babylon that couldn't get the job done. Isaiah was writing to the people of God, and he writes about Babylon's gods. And if it was today, you could insert any god from any religion other than following Jesus Christ. Wouldn't go over well, but God doesn't always care about that. It says, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. They, they got to be carried around by cows with carts. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They got to work to carry their own gods around. Carrying their own gods around wears them out. They stoop and bow down together, these gods. Unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They watch it being made from money, and then they worship it as though it's somehow a real god. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. These gods can't move. You actually pick where they sit, and they stay there. Isaiah's like, have you noticed that? Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. That's what these astrologers are saying. We, we can't do it. Our, our gods can't communicate this to us. What the king asks is too difficult. Well, you can bet. What's the king gonna, how's the king going to react to this? <laughs> this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Evidently, only some of them were there. But he said, you're all going to die. If you can't do this, you've been down with me for years. like you can do this stuff, you're all going to die. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Daniel and his friends weren't there. They were part of this group of wise men. We know they didn't deal with the magic and sword. But they were part of the same group. And they're part of the group that's going to be killed. So that was an anxious king and his impotent counselors. Now let's check out a sovereign God and his servants. This is a great part. And as we go through this, we talked about anxious situations and what it looks like to get wisdom from God. I want to look at four marks of wisdom that mark us if we're wise. Okay, we'll go through this. When Ariok had gone out Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. I want to focus in on that phrase, wisdom and tact. The idea here is that Daniel had a keen sense of spiritual taste, spiritual discernment. And that's the first thing wise. When I talk about spiritual taste, I want to paint it like this. You know people who have a good taste for movies, right? Some of us just watch the movies and say, oh, that was good, or I didn't really like it. Others are like, I really like the dark back, backdrop in the plot of this. It reminds me of the brooding theme in that 1934 classic. The only thing I didn't appreciate was the, 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 the lead actress. She didn't really nail that role. You know, she needed to have more emphasis on the, the compassion and the... And some of us are like, what? It's just a movie. Other, but some people have a keen taste for movies. So, so, sometimes it's 
For wine, you know, some of us might taste a red wine, white wine, and say, yeah, that's from white grapes and that's from red grapes, and that's about where it ends. Other people are like, okay, this came from a vineyard in Napa County. I'm guessing it's from the 1930s, and it's accented with hickory and bacon, or, or <laughs> whatever it may be. They have a, a keen taste. They're able to discern, right? And that's what the Hebrew word here means for wisdom and tact. Daniel looked at the situation, and he had all kinds of options, you know, that he could have thought through. He, he could have gotten angry, he could have ran, he could have could have yelled at the guard, he could have rushed straight into Nebuchadnezzar's presence, but instead he asked a simple question. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And once the, the guard explained it, he received permission to go in and speak to the king to ask for time. Nebuchadnezzar listened to Daniel, because you remember in the first chapter, he found him and his friends ten times better than the rest. He's probably thinking, why didn't I call these four in in the first place? These the, the cream of the crop. So he listens. So that's the first thing. Have a keen sense of spiritual taste. Don't just settle for right and wrong. Settle for what's best in a situation. Go for what's best. God to show you what is best in that situation you're in. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I love that writes this book, he, he still refers to all of them by their original names that include the name of God in their names because Babylon may call me something, but I know who I am. I'm a servant of God. Just because other people my identity doesn't mean I have to go. So he goes back to those three and he's this, this person of wisdom is to be a person of prayer. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is a cool picture. These are young men. A lot of people think Daniel and his friends may have been like 15 years old when he was taken to Babylon because we know that he was there for 70 years. You gotta be relatively young when you go. This is within a few years of them getting there, so they're probably not even 20 yet. And here's this beautiful picture of four of God's young men coming together crying wise you've got to be a person of prayer and check this out during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said praise be to the name of God forever and ever wisdom and power are his he changes times and seasons he deposes kings and raises up others he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. What's he saying here with the times and seasons? He, he's in control of the, the calendar. He decides who reigns when. What's it mean when he says he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning? At first glance, you read that and say, hey, if they're already wise, why do they need wisdom? And as I read about this, what it comes back to is this. If, if you imagine that you have a wisdom bank account in your life, there's a way to open that wisdom bank account so that God can make deposits in it. The way to open that wisdom bank account is talked about in Proverbs, which Daniel would have known. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to open your bank account so God can make wisdom deposits in there? You start with the fear of the Lord. I believe there's a God, and he rules my world. I do not. I will live my life to honor him. 
then God can give us what we need in any situation. But if we don't start there, we close the account down. That's why he says he gives wisdom to the wise. That's how Daniel was living his life. So God was able to give him what he needed, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I want to stop there. That's right there, the second part of the prayer. First we ask, and then we thank God, right? Sometimes we get one or the other of those. It's important that we have both in our lives. A lot of us spend all our time asking, and then he answers, and we've gotten so busy on down the road that we forget, or we give ourselves the credit or somebody else. Wait, I asked God for that, and he did it. Maybe I should slow down and say thank you. He had a keen sense of spiritual taste. He was a person of prayer. They were also people of faith. Check this out. He got the message from God. And verse 24 says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Why is this a step of faith? He is taking God at his word that what God told him is actually what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. You know, I may think, eh, but his life was on the line here. He goes in there and tells them the wrong thing. They're all dead. But Daniel had enough faith in his God to say, yes, God, you are a God who not only knows what Nebuchadnezzar was dreaming, you put it in his mind, and you know what it means. That's faith. So he goes, and the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And here we get to the fourth and final mark of wisdom in this chapter. Wise people are humble people. You think of all the ways Daniel could have gone about having this, this knowledge. Paul talks about knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Daniel could have got a real big head from this, but listen to where he goes. It's even a little risky to start off this way. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. I mean, I'm guessing he didn't pause very long right there. Because <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's going to be like, that's what the other guys told me. What are you doing here? That's the same thing they said. But he goes on. He says, no man can do it. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. You see the humility? He doesn't take credit for what happened. He gives glory to God. He says, God, you gave me this. I'm going to give it to the king, and I'm going to let him know that it was you who did it. You want to be a wise person? You've got to be humble. And I think about this, especially since they're probably in their teens. That's a hard season of your life to be humble sometimes, isn't it? I remember being a teenager. There's a sign at uh, Prescott Brewing Company on the wall that says, hey, teenagers, hurry up and move out while you still know everything. <laughs> There's some wisdom that comes with life that where we realize, hey, I don't know everything. It's easy when you're a teenager to think I got this. Daniel figured out early that humility is the path of wisdom. And I'd encourage you, you right there, we've got a couple young folks in the front row. Be humble. Part of being wise is saying, hey, there's a God who knows more than I do. I should seek him and see what he wants and, and, and follow his path. So those are the four marks. Now let, let's look what happens. 
Verse 29, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. I'm going to put a, a picture up here. As I read what Daniel says to the king, this is one artist's rendition of what he, what he saw in his mind. I'm going to start at verse 31. And just, just, you know, we talk about people's minds being blown. <laughs> just think about being Nebuchadnezzar as you're sitting there listening to Daniel. You dreamed this. You have told no one. And Daniel's about to tell you exactly what was in your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, by not, but not by human hands. And by now, can't you see Nebuchadnezzar leaning in like eyes big, where did this guy get this? While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. There's the dream. Daniel nailed it, otherwise Nebuchadnezzar would have interrupted him at any point. Nebuchadnezzar knew it was right, so Daniel's going to move on to the interpretation. And we're going to go back to uh, the text, verse 36. You got that picture in your mind. Daniel's going to tell him what it means. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, majesty, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. You're not so powerful because of you. God allowed you to have this spot, Nebuchadnezzar. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces... So it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw, the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. Now, we're not going to go into every detail of what this means, but back to the picture for just a second. I agree with the majority of commentators that what Nebuchadnezzar saw was the course of history. The, the golden head was Babylon and his empire. It was to come to an end. The silver chest and arms was Medo-Persia, the next empire to take over. The bronze stomach was Greece, and as you get into the iron legs, you're talking about Rome, which officially ended about 476 A.D. However, as you get to the feet, you remember there's still some iron and clay, and that's the idea that Rome's influence continues today, and it's a very diversified influence. It's got some of the strength of iron militarily, 
But when they look at the weakness of the clay, some have said that's a moral weakness. Uh, Some have said that's a spiritual weakness. Some have said that's a weakness of just too many different kinds of people not really being able to unite together. That's as far into the details as we're going to go with that part. Just to say that God, as Daniel said in his prayer, he raises up kings and puts them down. He decides how long they last and when they will fall. Every empire that's ever been and ever will be. There's one other empire in the, in the dream. Daniel says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those man's kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. What is this rock cut out but not by human hands? What is this rock that destroys all their empires and fills the whole earth and lasts forever? What is this rock? It is Jesus and his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Absolutely. And you can see God's kingdom from his heart before time when he began to choose who he would bring into his kingdom, to Abraham, who he called and said, you're going to be a blessing to all nations. You can see his kingdom beginning to grow. You can see his kingdom growing as Jesus comes. And he talks about the kingdom being like a mustard seed. And you see the early church begin to spread. Where where am I going with this? God's kingdom is is with us today. It's in the hearts of those who follow him. And we have the ability as we walk with him to spread it and its influence of righteousness and holiness around us. That's the first truth. But the second truth is God's kingdom is coming in its fullness one day. And it will last forever. Jesus Christ will sit on his throne. We all have that groaning inside for that day. Even my little five-year-old, Jaden and Evan, both have been fighting just a little sickness this week. And uh, Evan said last night, he said, I can't wait for heaven when there's not going to be any more sickness. He wanted to be with his grandma and grandpa who've been out, but he's been sick, and he finally gets to see him again today. But even a five-year-old gets it. We, we all long for a day where everything that's messed up here is fixed. Evil is put down once and for all. Jesus has his way. That's coming. Daniel gives him this interpretation. He says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now check this out. You've got the most powerful ruler in the world who, who moments before issued execution orders for all of his wise men. Ultimate power. Watch this, verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. Most powerful ruler in the world on his face. On his face. And ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Listen to this. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. How many of you know God doesn't sit idly by when his name is under attack? Didn't we see it with Moses in Egypt? Didn't we see it with Elijah at Mount Carmel? We, we see it here. The, the first chapter told us that Nebuchadnezzar took God's stuff from the temple in Jerusalem and put it in the temple of his gods. That's like saying, my God's better than your God. Right here, God is saying, oh, no, he ain't. <laughs> your God cannot show you your dream. I just did. 
And that's why Nebuchadnezzar bowed. That's why he admits this. The king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. From execution orders to a promotion. God's in control. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. See, this vision of the future wasn't just to say to God's people, hey, I got you in the future. You see it right here. I got you right now. You were just about to be executed, and now you've been promoted because I stepped in. I've got you. I love you. And he says the same thing to his kids today. 